is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. Today in the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Kim. Dr. Kim is the medical director of the Dermatology Clinic at the Perlman Center for Advanced Medicine and professor of dermatology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Kim is also the lead principal investigator for the Phase 3 FLASH study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. This study is the largest multicenter randomized double-blind placebo-controlled skin-directed therapy study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma to date, enrolling a total of 169 patients. In our program today, we talk about the success of Hybrite in a broad cutaneous T-cell lymphoma patient population. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. The Youngest in Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal Oncuzine at Oncuzine.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. For information on how to support the program, visit our website at Oncuzine.com. And if you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we'll make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. This is the Yonkazine Brief. For the latest news about cancer and cancer treatment, visit our online journal, Oncazine, at www.oncazine.com. Today in the Oncazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Kim about a FLASH study, a phase 3 clinical trial in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, one of the most common forms of T-cell lymphoma. Welcome to the Oncazine Brief. Thank you so, so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we talk about the clinical trial, can you tell me a little bit more about cutaneous T-cell lymphoma and the study's background? We abbreviated CTCL because cutaneous T-cell lymphoma can be quite a mouthful, uh, but that is a group of, of lymphomas that present in the skin, uh, hence the term cutaneous. There are several different types. Um, there are some aggressive types and some indolent types, but the most common is the one that you referred to. It's called mycosis fungoides subtype of cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, uh, and that presents as patches or plaques in the skin that can mimic, um, you know, other skin conditions, so often presents to the dermatologist. How many patients on average are diagnosed with this disease here in the United States, and who is at risk? So these are fairly rare disorders, and in terms of total numbers of cases in the U.S., it's approximately 30 to 50,000 cases, and then the prevalence uh, is eight uh, new cases per million people per year. So it is quite rare. It is considered a sporadic non-Hodgkin's lymphoma of the skin. It falls under the umbrella of non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. And it seems to affect um, older individuals. So the average age of onset for mycosis fungoides subtype is uh, in the 50s. And right now it's considered sporadic. So we do not know what triggers this lymphoma. Kind of similar to other lymphomas, it's not due to a specific mutation or environmental exposure. It's not due to some infectious trigger. It is a sporadic event, does not run in families. You've mentioned some of the symptoms and the disease presentations of cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, but there are also other forms of the disease. Can you mention a little bit more about that? Uh, Yeah, so the second most common uh, subtype is what we call the primary cutaneous CD30-positive lymphoproliferative disorders. 
this is a very interesting group of uh, skin conditions where on one end of the spectrum, patients can get crops of papules or small bumps that mimic bug bites or uh, chicken pox, and that's called inflammatory papulosis. And then the other end of the spectrum are these um, plaques or tumors, which are large nodules on the skin, um, and that's something called uh, primary cutase anaplastic large cell lymphoma. That's a different subtype. We also have some other subtypes that affect more the lower legs and present as these deep plaques. And then we have some cases of, of CTCL, a rare one called Cesare syndrome, which is similar, uh, kind of similar biologically to mycosis fungoides, where patients present with really severe generalized rash covering more than 80% of their body, if you can imagine, really red, scaly, shedding skin. And that can be a very symptomatic and severe presentation of CTCL. We're talking about a skin condition that can be easily observed, but the disease can actually go beyond the skin, right? That's right. So these are lymphoma cells and they have the capability of, uh, they start in the skin, but they can spread to other parts um, of the body. So in more advanced stage disease of mycosis fungoides, you can get progression into lymph nodes, into the peripheral blood, and even to other organs. Um, and the most common organ sites are places like the brain or the lung, uh, liver, spleen. Um, and then the skin symptoms are also, even when it's just in the skin, which you know generally has good prognosis, the skin symptoms can be highly symptomatic and very uncomfortable for patients. The itching can be so severe, it wakes them up at nighttime or make them suicidal. They can get super infection in the skin because of bacterial colonization or overgrowth because of the scaliness. And then there's tremendous effects on health-related quality of life. So patients feel very self-conscious about their skin. It affects their ability to interact with, you know, um, with loved ones or you know, um, in society. There's just a lot of kind of stress involved with managing their skin. So there's insomnia. There's myriad effects even when it's just in the skin. Now, maybe a strange question. Cutaneous tissue lymphoma is difficult to diagnose in its early stages because the symptoms may be similar to those of other skin conditions, including eczema, psoriasis, or dermatitis. And in some cases, patients may just complain about dry and very itchy skin. So if you are someone who has not yet been diagnosed with this disease, but you have one or multiple skin conditions that do not seem to go away, and your grandmother, your mother, or another good friend tells you to use an over-the-counter skin cream, suggesting that this condition may go away easy, go away by itself, because this is probably an easy fix and one of the first things they may think about. How would they be able to recognize that this is not a benign condition? How can they recognize the difference in what can be considered a normal skin condition that may go away versus cutaneous steel cell lymphoma? That's a really critical point because uh, mycosis fungoides subtype of CTCL, the hallmark for many patients, they all give a history of having a rash for many months or years that just doesn't get better and is misdiagnosed as a more benign rash and then, you know, finally gets diagnosed. So that is perhaps the most uh, frustrating thing for patients with CTCL, this long uh, time to diagnosis. So I absolutely agree that the take-home message for patients is if you have a rash that's slowly getting worse over time and just stop, it stops responding to treatment, definitely see a dermatologist. They should do a skin biopsy. They should do multiple skin biopsies, even if the first one or two just come back benign or nonspecific. The key thing is if it's not getting better, 
and persist in, in trying to repeat the testing. In diagnosing the disease, where are you looking at? I understand that there are certain stages in the workup of a diagnosis. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we think about mycosis fungoides when you see somebody, the classic presentation are patches and plaques in the bathing trunk distribution, which refers to kind of underneath the clothing, which is a very interesting presentation. So it's a little bit distinct from, say, psoriasis or eczema, which has a slightly different anatomic presentation. So you want to do a full skin skin check from head to toe because it can show up anywhere as well. We also um, examine lymph nodes. We palpate lymph nodes. We also order blood work. And in selected cases, we also do um, things like order scans, PET scans or CAT scans to look internally. Um, and I think the key thing is we like to do the biopsies when patients are off of therapy. So sometimes patients are on topical steroids or therapy. And topical steroids can help many, many uh, different diagnoses. But sometimes if you do the biopsy while you're on the topical steroids, it can mask the true diagnosis. So that's one of the, the clinical pearls we, we tell dermatologists and patients that, you know, try to biopsy off of therapy so you can get a true, uh, a good diagnostic sample. Let's take a short break and then we're back with Dr. Alan Kim. Procrastination can kill. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States among men and women combined, and it doesn't always cause symptoms. Fortunately, it can be prevented or found at an early stage. Have you been putting off colon cancer screening? This year, use the health benefits you're paying for to get screened for colon cancer. There are lots of screening options available that include anything from a colonoscopy, considered the gold standard of screening tools, to simple tests that can be done at home and the chances of getting colon cancer increase with age. It's also very preventable, and when caught early, treatments are more successful. If you're 45 or older, you need to get screened. Colorectal cancer can be prevented or found early when it's more treatable. Don't put off your colorectal cancer screening any longer. Talk to your doctor today to discuss which screening test is best for you. This message is brought to you by Oncozine and Physicians Weekly. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. In today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Kim. Dr. Kim is the medical director at the dermatology clinic at the Perlman Center for Advanced Medicine and professor of dermatology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. In our program today, we talk about the success of hybrid in a broad cutaneous T-cell lymphoma patient population. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. In order to understand how far the disease has progressed, there is a staging process. Now, in identifying the necessary treatments, what are you looking for? What are those stages? So the staging is really guided by both the type of skin lesions and also the body surface area. So I think that's what you're getting at, because we don't want to do unnecessary staging examinations, too many blood tests or too many, you know, unnecessary tests unless we really have to. The good news is that early stage mycosis fungoides, what we call stage 1A, 1B, 2A, that includes 70% of patients that diagnosis fall into that category. And they have just skin limited disease. And those patients, um, it's defined as patches or plaques. If it's less than 10% of your body, then that's stage 1A. 
If it's between 10% and 80%, that's considered stage 1B. And then if you have any sort of slightly enlarged lymph nodes that when you biopsy it look reactive, that's stage 2A. And so that those stages are considered early stage and patients often do well and the risk of disease progression or having the condition become life-threatening is low. And then we, we basically do a very focused staging where we tend to do mostly the skin exam and some blood work. And just sometimes, um, you know, we do scans, but not in all of the early stage patients. And that really guides treatment as well, because the skin-directed therapies are the mainstay for early stage. So many patients and many doctors might assume that we have to use systemic chemotherapy or, you know, uh, go to an oncologist for early stage disease. But actually, in this era, early stage mycosis fungoides is managed with skin-directed therapies, topicals, phototherapy, and radiation therapy. You mentioned that in the earlier stages of the disease, patients may have a rash for a long time and may be frustrated about the fact that this doesn't heal, it doesn't go away. And while the disease may not ever progress to later stages in some patients, it may progress rapidly in other patients. But in either case, even if the disease progresses, there are still treatment options, right? That's right. So one of the other interesting things about the disease, I think, the good news I tell patients is that it's an indolent um, disease in early stage, but the less good news is that there's no permanent cure. So unlike some cancers, some blood cancers, where the goal of treatment is to permanently cure it, and then you don't have to worry about it, this uh, lymphoma, this cutaneous T-cell lymphomas, they're not biologically curable with current treatments. They're manageable. Uh, we can put people into clinical remission, relieve their symptoms, prevent progression, but it's not curable. So it really, the treatment approach is very much chronic disease management. And then the good news is that many of the early stage CTCL treatments out there are actually somewhat common treatments that we can use for other diagnoses. So for example, phototherapy, which is a medical tanning booth using ultraviolet light, uh, it's a very ancient therapy, it's actually effective not just for cutaneous T-cell lymphoma early stage. It's uh, utilized in psoriasis. It's utilized in eczema. So, you know, we do have certain common therapies that can be used for early stage patients. So even if perhaps the patient has CTCL, but it hasn't declared itself yet, there are some treatments to try um, before that point um, of diagnosis. But the other tricky thing, which is the flip side, is that there are some treatments for, say, psoriasis that you want to avoid if you have a clinical concern of CTCL. So interestingly, TNF-alpha inhibitors, which are very common sort of systemic biologic that's used for psoriasis, those are very effective for psoriasis, but actually are, are felt to be um, not helpful or maybe detrimental for CTCL. So it does require your dermatologist to have some knowledge about which of these options to choose. You're the lead principal investigator for the phase three flash study investigating Hybrite, a novel first-in-class photodynamic therapy. Tell me a little bit more about this potential treatment option. Yes, so it, it is. It's photodynamic therapy, and it's a, it's related but distinct to phototherapy because it does require a photosensitizer. Um, so there's that photosensitizer piece that has to occur either in the case of the flash um, trial. Hybrite was a topical photosensitizer that is put on the skin lesion, uh, and then the patient is subjected to the light therapy. In the Hybrite approach, patients are prescribed a potent photosynthesizer that is topically applied to the skin. 
But how does this investigational treatment work? Yeah, so you know, we're very excited about this study. Traditional phototherapy, just to, to give some background, which is essentially very similar to ultraviolet light um, from the sun. The sun, even though it, it has some issues on, and, and adverse effects in terms of skin cancer, um, it's very anti-inflammatory. So since ancient times, traditional phototherapy has been used as a, a standard of care treatment for itchy daily skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, and, and mycosis fungoides, CTCL. But when used chronically, it can increase the risk of sun damage and skin cancers, including melanoma. So that's one of the, the we've been looking for a long time um, for alternative phototherapy-based treatments that perhaps don't have that long-term side effect that would be really helpful because at some point, CTCL patients, essentially, they have to stop um, going to phototherapy because they keep popping out with new skin cancers. So this Hybrite, it's really interesting. Um, Hybrite is a synthetically, um, synthetically made photosensitizer called Hypericin. And Hypericin um, is activated by what we call yellow uh, wavelength spectrum light. So it's a, it's a little bit different than ultraviolet light. It's actually the same spectrum as a fluorescent light bulb. And it is, it's been studied before in psoriasis and CTCL. And then our community came together and led by our sponsor, Serologenic, organized the, really the largest multi-center randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial to study an early-stage disease. And the rationale was when you look at the previous studies, high bright and visible light is not only effective for early-stage um, CTCL, but it's not mutagenic. It doesn't cause DNA damage, unlike traditional phototherapy. And also, it's more selective. So you're treating only the affected areas and not the normal you know, skin around the affected areas. So the safety profile theoretically could be much better for patients who have a history of skin cancer or melanoma. This would be a fantastic option. So that's what led to the development of the FLASH study. You mentioned the use of a medical tanning booth. So what should a patient participating in this trial expect? Yeah, so this trial was, um, uh, it, it was a, a phase three. It was randomized and double-blinded, placebo-controlled. It was very rigorous, um, so that we could really prove that there was active biological effect. Um, it was essentially um, constructed in three cycles. And so patients were randomized during the first cycle to receive either the hybrid or placebo. And um, we had three index lesions selected, and those um, index lesions were treated with either placebo or Hybrite 12 to 24 hours before their light treatment. They came in and they stood in front of a, a yellow light panel, uh, and they did that twice a week. Um, and the light um, dose initially was very low and then titrated up slowly over time as the patient tolerated it. Um, that's very similar to traditional phototherapy. Uh, and they did that for six weeks and then had a two-week break. And then there was an, a response, disease response assessment. And that was cycle one. And then cycle two kind of repeated um, the same thing, but placebo-treated uh, patients could cross over and receive active drug. And then cycle three was an optional cycle, and patients could elect to continue uh, treating not just the index lesions, but their you know other lesions as well. So it was conducted over a 24-week period and then had another six-month follow-up to look at safety. What were some of the results you've observed in this trial? So the pivotal and critical endpoint was the cycle one data. So after basically cycle one at the eight-week mark, the high-bright photodynamic therapy 
was statistically um, significant in terms of being more effective for treating CTCL, early stage CTCL compared to placebo. Um, and then the response rate increased after cycle two. So overall response rate after two cycles of hybrid was 40%. Um, and then at 24 weeks, you know, which is after cycle three, went up to close to 50%. Um, so we definitely saw clinical response. It was objectively superior to placebo in a blinded fashion. And then the response rates at um, 16 weeks and 24 weeks, those are comparable to the response kinetics seen in other skin-directed therapies. So when you look at things like um, topical uh, mechlorethamine gel or also called Valclor gel or um, topical bexerotene gel, also known as Targretin gel, um, those have similar kinetics in terms of response rates. So it's clinically active. The short-term safety profile was really excellent. Only grade one, two local um, skin application site adverse events in 16% of patients, very low um, adverse event rate. Um, the most common skin side effects were itching, redness, and hyperpigmentation. Um, and then uh, the really interesting thing about the responses when we looked, um, we, we dove into the, the data. Um, so mycosis fungoides early stage, you can have patches, which are totally flat, and you can have plaques that are thicker. And you know, current skin-directed therapies, many of them are more effective for patch disease, but not as effective for the plaque thicker lesions. Um, so we really need more agents that help those plaque lesions. And in the FLASH study, um, the high-bright photodynamic therapy, we saw response rates equally across both patch and plaque lesions. So that was pretty impressive um, when you compare it to other skin-directed therapies. So good efficacy done in a really rigorous uh, manner. Um, compared to placebo and really great short-term safety profile. Let's take a break. If you're just joining us, today in the Ongezien Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Kim. Dr. Kim is the medical director of the Dermatology Clinic at the Perlman Center for Advanced Medicine and professor of dermatology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Kim is also the lead principal investigator for the phase 3 flash study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. This study is the largest multicenter randomized double-blind placebo-controlled skin-directed therapy study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma to date, enrolling a total of 169 patients. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongezien Brief. In the 1960s, a coalition of concerned citizens, scientists, and politicians joined forces to convince the federal government to focus its efforts on conquering cancer. In 1971, a single piece of legislation forever changed how we view cancer and cancer treatment. In that year, on December 23, 1971, the National Cancer Act was signed into law by President Richard Nixon. The National War on Cancer was declared, with some leaders naively arguing that the disease would be conquered by the nation's bicentennial, a mere five years in the future. The National Cancer Act cemented the nation's commitment to medical science, clinical trials, and advanced research, and over the next five decades, scientific discoveries demonstrated the great complexity of what had formerly been thought of as a single disease. With the advent of the genetic characterization of cancer, it is now recognized that there are almost an infinite number of cancers as defined by their many genetic mutations. The National Cancer Act established the infrastructure for the designation of centers of excellence by the National Cancer Institute, and these centers have evolved into models of multidisciplinary, collaborative cancer research, treatment, and prevention, contributing to a reduction in cancer mortality and increase in the quality of life and survival 
that has translated into more than 17 million cancer survivors in the United States since 2021. Join the Yonkazine Brief this spring as we share the stories, the people, past and present, who have made progress possible and have shaped how cancer research, clinical trials, and treatment are being conducted today. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. In today's episode of the Oncogene Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Kim. Dr. Kim is the medical director at the Dermatology Clinic at the Perlman Center for Advanced Medicine and professor of dermatology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. In our program today, we talk about the success of Hybride in a broad cutaneous T-cell lymphoma patient population. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncogene Brief. The study results show that this investigational treatment is safe and is well tolerated. But you also mentioned the potential for side effects that patients may have encountered. In this trial, what was the duration and the frequency of some of those side effects? They were short-term and they did not occur very frequently, only 16% of the time. And the severity, grade one and grade two, kind of referred to uh, mild, mild, moderate effects. Um, So did not generally require additional therapy and resolved, um, you know, with just uh, taking a break from the the, the light treatment and then resuming it at a lower light dose. Um, so those are uh, those are were notable. And then you know a, a related question to that is looking at both the the, the dropout rate. So the dropout rate in terms of which is a surrogate for um, sometimes for treatment tolerability. Um, the dropout rate between the hybride and placebo were very similar. It was five percent for uh, hybride um, arm and, and 10% for the placebo arm. In terms of severe adverse events, like very severe skin reactions, only three, um, uh, 4% of the um, of the uh, hybride arm had severe adverse events, and three of them were, were skin-related events that eventually resolved, but were a little bit more severe, like things like uh, blistering of the skin. Um, but placebo had 2% severe adverse events. So uh, from a, a statistical standpoint, it was, um, you know, it was very reasonable in terms of the safety profile. We do need longer follow-up. So the the thing we're most excited about, I think, about Hybrite, you know, we think that when it comes to treating CTCL, it's the long game. And if you, it's not a matter about who has the best response rate, because all of the current skin-directed um, treatments we have out there, we have several, um, they have respectable response rates. Um, but the, the question is, what's the long, short-term and long-term safety profile? Because patients have to often repeat courses of treatment. Um, they live with this disease for the rest of their life. It comes and goes. So um, Hybrate has a potential advantage because it's non-mutagenic. Um, it does not um, uh, cause cross-linking of DNA, unlike uh, PUVA phototherapy. Um, it's not mutagenic. It works by um, generation of free radical oxygen species. So it's non-mutagenic. So the, the long-term safety profile on the surrounding skin is really favorable. And theoretically, we should see less skin cancers and melanoma. In this clinical trial, some patients were treated with the investigational therapy, while other patients were treated with a placebo. Now, to be very clear, even if patients were treated with placebo, this was an active treatment. This is not a non-treatment, right? That's correct. So I, there's um, in all clinical studies throughout any field, 
So the placebo effect can be quite considerable. And so that's why it's important to do things in, in a very blinded fashion and to have a really randomized controlled trial that's, that's double blinded. So because of that, during the first cycle, we did see the, the actual response rate with, when you compare placebo is 4% response rate in the placebo arm after eight, um, six weeks of treatment. That was compared to 16% for high brain after one cycle. Granted, that's a pretty low response rate, but that was only after six to eight weeks of treatment. Um, the p-value was significant, um, statistically significant at 0.04. And again, this was double-blinded. So we know that we're seeing a true effect that's superior to placebo. And then when you look out at the more kind of real-world time points of uh, two cycles, which is 16 weeks and three cycles at 24 weeks, you can see the response rates um, in the active um, arm uh, go up as expected and actually didn't even hit a peak. So likely longer treatment. Um, will result in even higher overall response rates in the index lesions. And we hope to do, um, you know, a, an open label study to investigate that, to look at longer duration of treatment on efficacy and safety. I understand that this phase three clinical trial is now completed, but there are more trials being planned, right? Well, you know, we always are trying to, um, you know, get more safety data. And also we would like to um, sort of, tweak the treatment regimen so it re reflects more real world. So um, I am working with Sologenics to, to look at a, a smaller study, an open label study, to try to treat it with continuous treatment twice a week, um, not by cycles, but just continuously without any breaks to look and see whether or not um, the, the, at the tolerability and also with the response rates uh, mirror or exceed um, the sort of interrupted cycle approach. Um, because that is sort of what how traditional phototherapy is utilized in the real world, continuous, not done in cycles. Now, there is no cure for this disease yet. And there is a chronic aspect of this disease. So is that the reason why you're looking for these different approaches? That's right. So, you know, I think that um, I find treating uh, mycosis fungoides CTCL very rewarding because we have, a, we have some options and we can tailor it to the patient. And they all have their pros and cons in terms of side effect profile and efficacy. But invariably, because patients live with this disease for you know, a long time, many decades for some patients, you, know, you often, often have to cycle through treatments or you have to, um, you know, you have to repeat. So for hybrid photodynamic therapy, where I envision its role to be, if it gets FDA approved, um, you know, because it has such a favorable safety profile, you know, I think for my younger MF patients, the ones who are diagnosed in their 20s or 30s, which can happen, you really want to try to um, keep an eye on minimizing long-term toxicity. And if they have a history, family history of melanoma, um, I'm not going to want to reach for traditional phototherapy and have them be on that for months or years. Um, having something like high-bright photodynamic therapy would, would be a, a better option for, for such patients or Right now, we're talking about a skin-directed treatment option. But in many cases, there is also a combination with systemic therapies, with drugs like brentuximab fedotin, liposomal doxorubicin, interference, or other drugs. Systemic treatment may be used in more advanced-stage disease and in patients with earlier-stage disease in whom skin-directed therapies did not help, were not tolerated, or are not available. However, Hybrid is a treatment option without systemic therapy, correct? That's correct. So this was all skin-directed topical, and it would be very interesting to see it in combination with certain systemic agents. So 
when we look at the um, sort of the treatment landscape of mycosis fungoides CTCL for early stage patients. So I mentioned that, um, you know, skin-directed therapies are the mainstay. Um, for about 15 to 20% of early stage patients, um, at some point in their, their life, their disease can become refractory um, and more resistant to the skin-directed therapies or their itch, you know, maybe more severe. They might start developing more plaques instead of thin patches. Then at that point, we start thinking about combination therapies with systemic agents. And so that's when we start to think about adding something. And we like to add something. So the combination of uh, high-bright high um, um, photodynamic therapy with other agents, that'll be very interesting to look at. Um, I forgot to mention that, you know, since we saw responses in patches and plaques, uh, you might w wonder why that is, um, you know, with high-bright photodynamic therapy. Um, and the reason is because of that yellow wavelength um, is longer. It's a longer spectrum wavelength of light than ultraviolet. It penetrates into the skin deeper than standard ultraviolet light uh, wavelength spectrums. So it penetrates deeper. And because of that, um, that's translating likely into the biological effects of seeing responses in plaques, not just in patches. Um, so I wanted to make, you know, make sure I touched upon that, why we might um, reach for this for patch plaque patients, um, you know, over other skin-directed therapies. According to the Food and Drug Administration, there is no first-line therapy for cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. Now, Hybride has not yet been approved by the FDA, but would you consider this investigational therapy as having the potential of becoming a treatment in first line? Absolutely. That was the indication that um, uh, we were aiming for many years ago when this trial was formulated and, and, and when it was constructed, um, because what you said is absolutely true. I mean, this is an orphan disease. Um, while we have a tiny handful of approved agents, it's not many. The current ones are approved uh, for refractory disease or disease that's been resistant to at least one prior treatment. So that is, you know, there there is a an, a need and um, for a, a a first line treatment. Um, and you know, one of the interesting things people might say is, well, well, how about topical steroids? Well, topical steroids, you know, uh, this this is the reality for most uh, practitioners is the that almost all of our um, newly diagnosed mycosis fungoides patients have already seen topical steroids before they've been diagnosed. So they've already gone through that therapy. Um, and I do think that first-line therapy should demonstrate um, excellent safety profile and theoretical excellent long-term safety profile. Those aspects, I think, um, make this particular uh, skin-directed therapy well-poised to get approval for that indication. When you look at the potential approval, what is the timeline in which you expect the FDA to review the data? Well, I know that the materials and all the data have been analyzed or being submitted as we speak. Um, and the FDA has certainly been busy with approvals of other uh, relevant uh, uh, things. But um, I, I, we, we hope to, I think, latest here by, um, you know, first quarter, second quarter of 2022. Um, if we hear sooner, that'd be wonderful. Um, I, I am um, excited about the hybrid PBT um, data, and I, I hope the FDA finds it to be, you know, a, a good, a very valuable addition to our field. Let's take a short break, and then we're back with Dr. Alan Kim.
Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others, huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Yonkazine Brief. In today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Kim. Dr. Kim is the medical director of the dermatology clinic at the Promal Center for Advanced Medicine and professor of dermatology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Kim is also the lead principal investigator for the phase 3 study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma investigating hybrid in a broad cutaneous T-cell lymphoma patient population. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about clinical trials in more general terms. The FDA is expecting more real-world data to be included in clinical trials. They also expect trials to include more diversity in people participating in clinical trials. As a physician treating patients involved in a clinical trial, how important is this and how can you and your coworkers and other physicians in the country help patients to understand that a clinical trial is definitely something to consider in some cases? I'm so glad you, you brought that up. It, it, it's, I think, for rare diseases, I think for diseases that have no known cure, absolutely, as per NCCN guidelines, clinical trials should always be discussed. I think we're lucky in the field of CTCL. We we have patients who are tremendously um, knowledgeable and committed to the disease. You know, they're, they're part of a community. Um, it's quite a lonely journey to be diagnosed with CTCL, and then and once they they have, you know, thanks to um, social media and the internet, they have access to information. And we have this uh, tremendous patient um, education foundation called the Cutaneous Lymphoma Foundation. Um, it's uh, a, just a model on, uh, of an organization uh, with regards to patient advocacy and education. So they do a lot of outreach uh, in addition to you know, all, of cent- all of the centers of excellence for CTCL with regards to raising awareness about clinical trials, the importance, um, the you know, agreeing to correlative studies so we could understand the biology, um, and then also doing surveys of health-related quality of life and working together as a group to, um, you know, collaborate on these studies. Um, these studies really require a village, uh, not a village, an like entire community. So this study, uh, the FLASH study, uh, it took um, 37 sites um, to enroll 169 patients because, again, CTCL is a rare disease. So this couldn't have happened without all my colleagues and all the patients really investing the time 
So we're pretty lucky in CTCL. You know, it's a rare disease, but we've had a lot of clinical trials over the past 15 years, and we have patients who who are committed to you know giving them a, giving a clinical trial consideration. Um, in terms of uh, are we getting representative enrollment from all aspects, um, uh, like all types of patients and a good diversity? I would say that at least initial studies are, are seeing that we're getting good enrollment um, from, you know, not just the white population, but the black population. Um, and that we, you know, our centers reflect not just the centers of excellence, but also smaller, um, sort of more community-based centers. Um, I'm very proud of that about the FLASH study, that we had some, you know, a, a really good diversity of centers. So CTCL, we, we have a good community. I think the one area of improvement, um, to be honest with you, is to try to develop health-related quality of life instruments that really are tailored to CTCL to reflect the, the, the real impact of disease, um, even when it's just in the skin in early patients. That is something that we, we want to convey to the FDA and to the, the public, um, how much it affects quality of life, even if, you know, these are early stage patients and it's not, we're not talking about life or death at the moment. Um, we do want the FDA to recognize um, that we, we need to the, the disease has such impact on our patients' um, quality of life. And so we're working on those, those, um, those tools because we have some good tools, but th there's some unique things about having CTCL. You mentioned health-related quality of life. With the development of novel treatment options for cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, I assume that health-related quality of life is definitely improving over time. Yes, there, there's um, the literature on health-related quality of life is fairly small in our field, but we, we some of the um, clinical studies, um, a, a lot of the clinical studies recently had all utilized um, instruments that look at itch, um, look at skin quality of life called the Skindex 29, and we can see some improvement in that with response. We hope to have instruments that, you know, kind of pick up on more of a change because the Skindex 29 was not designed for CTCL. There's the whole aspect of having cancer. Um, so often the FACT gene, for instance, is another instrument we use um, in CTCL trials. So using a combination of cancer-based um, you know, uh, instruments and skin-based instruments, we can kind of try to capture the entire effect on quality of life. So some of the trials are demonstrating that, but I think most of the practitioners of CTCL, most of the patients, frankly, uh, when you look at some of the, the research done by my colleagues out there, um, they, they feel that the current instruments don't capture everything, the full scope of effects on quality of life. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today in the Oncogene Brief and taking the time to share some positive news about new treatment options in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. Thank you so much. It was, it was wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. In today's episode of The Younger Team Brave, I spoke with Dr. Alan Kim. Dr. Kim is the medical director of the dermatology clinic at the Perlman Center for Advanced Medicine and professor of dermatology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Kim is also the lead principal investigator for the phase 3 FLASH study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. This study is the largest multicenter randomized double-blind placebo-controlled skin-directed therapy study in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma to date, enrolling a total of 169 patients. In our program today, we spoke about the success of Hybride in the broad cutaneous T-cell lymphoma patient population. Hybride is developed by Sologenics, a late-stage biopharmaceutical company focusing on developing 
new products to treat rare diseases where there is an unmet medical need. For more information about Soligenics and Hybrid, please visit the company's website at soligenics.com. That is S-O-L-I-G-E-N-I-X.com. For us here at the Youngers in Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers, for your ongoing support. Your support makes it possible that you can hear this program via PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and in the United States and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. You can also download our program via podcast and streaming media, including iTunes and Spotify. For more information about supporting the Oncosine Brief, go to Oncosine at Oncosine.com. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you again. Thank you for listening and join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland and this is The Youngest in Brief. The Oncazine Brief is a global medical educational service from the publishers of Oncazine and ADC Review, the journal of antibody drug conjugates. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from our commercial underwriters and advertisers and the listeners to this station. For more information about advertising, underwriting, and sponsoring options, visit Oncazine at www.oncazine.com forward slash podcasts. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content in this program is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice and guidance. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.